Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What's your favorite Revel? The toffee one. Toffee ones are the worst. Oh, shit. <laughs> Orange green. Oh, I don't think I've ever had one. Wow, I can't believe that, John. We're quite a 70 sweet. I imagine you would quite like I'll them. I'll give it a go. I'll let you know next week. Britain. An ancient kingdom with legends of violence, cruelty, and torment in its blood. Join your hosts, Ross, John, and James, as they bravely tread where few would dare. Witness their journey into the horrific history of British horror. They are... The General Witchfinders. Ladies and gentlemen, goblins and ghouls, welcome to the 10th episode of the General Witchfinders podcast. I'm James in Bournemouth on the south coast of England. I'm John Parentney in South Wales, which is in the south of Wales. And I'm Ross in Dorchester in southern England. And today's episode, chosen by you, our faithful listeners, we are going to cover the abominable Dr. Fibes. Ooh. Or three. Or nine. Who's this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife no vibes. But you I will kill. But you can't, Doctor. I am already dead. Here, how are we going to get him off this? You take his head, and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life. In his own inimitable way. Burgers, boils, bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. 
And the curse of blood. Curse of hail in the bloody middle of nowhere. Selected for our 10th episode anniversary by our listeners, The Abominable Dr. Fives is a 1971, again, British comedy horror film produced by Ronald S. Dunas and uh, Lewis M. Hayward and directed by Robert Shue. It stars, in his first appearance on this podcast, Mr. Vincent Price. Its art deco sets, dark humour and performance by Price have made the film and its sequel, Dr. Fives Arrives Again, cult classics. The film also features Terry Thomas and Hugh Griffiths, with an uncredited Caroline Monroe appearing in still photographs as Fives' wife. And we follow the eponymous character, Dr. Anton Fives, who blames the medical team that attended to his wife's surgery four years prior for her, for her death and sets out to exact vengeance on each one. Fives mm. is inspired in his murderous spree by the ten plagues of Egypt from the Old Testament, the Jewish Torah. For visual re- reasons... The plagues of flies and gnats were replaced with rats and bats. <laughs> the film was shot on the 20s era sets at Elstree Studios in Hertfordshire. The cemetery scenes were shot in Highgate Cemetery, way, as well as the aforementioned sequel. Several others were planned, including Fives Resurrectus, The Bride of Dr. Fives, and The Seven Fates of Dr. Fives, but none were ever produced. In order to gain more publicity, this film was advertised as Vincent Price's 100th movie. Mm. Thinking back to past Jeffrey Witchfinder featured films, which inexplicably seem to be made within a few years of each other, of course, Mm. Caroline Monroe has been seen writhing around uh, as a blood sacrifice to Dracula in Dracula AD 1972. Peter Cushing was originally cast as Vesalius. But he declined because his wife was in poor health at the time. Oh, Helen. No, oh, poor Helen. Mrs. Cushing. And Helen, young jo- Helen Cushing, was her name? Helen Cushing. Mm. And a young Joanna Lumley did appear as a laboratory assistant, but her scenes were sadly cut. Very comely Joanna Lumley. So there you go. So first of all, who, <laughs> who picked this? Well, there was, a, there was a wide range of people um, oh. put, put it up, and then it was one of the ones which was most favoured on Twitter. Good grief! Because I was going to say, t- tell me the names of the people responsible for making this. <laughs> well, you guys, how many times have you watched it? Once. Once. Yeah, I've watched it four times now. What? Why? I watched it the first time, and I was uh, texting someone, so I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so I watched it again. Yeah, yeah. I was ready to, uh, to do the podcast, and we had to um, cancel it last week. So mm. I watched it twice today at double speed whilst I was working. Um, but again, I kept losing my um, my attention on it. So I've watched it four times so far. Dearly. What a weird film! <laughs> it is. It is bizarre. My my thoughts was as I was right. I was struck while I was watching this, uh, and it, it's something I've been thinking about. So we knew like a lot of the general witchfinder stuff is that like one of my absolute heroes, the comics writer, Alan Moore, he always says, it's like, it's a miracle that any good films ever get made. <laughs> when you consider the amount of people that are involved in it and like the different creative talents and the different people putting their awe in, as it were, yeah. like producers, yeah. writers, directors, he said, it's, it's always a miracle that you ever get anything that's like a coherent, decent vision. And as yeah. I was watching this, I thought, were they purposefully trying to make this tongue-in-cheek and like a bit ropey 
Yeah. Or was the, was the production team going, we're going to make the best film you've ever seen? Because if so, it's a terrifying notion because it's all over the show, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely all over the show. It has the very odd kind of um, feel of like a kind of, you can imagine it being some kind of weird vanity project for like Roger Daltrey or someone <laughs> like that. It's like, it's just a really odd film. And it, yes. the, the production design is demented. <laughs> when is this set? Yes. When is it set? <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't until I, I did the research and saw that it was uh, a 1920s area era. Yeah. So, but still, yeah. that doesn't feel right to me. Is, it, it, is this no, Victorian no, it times? Like is it, is it the all. 60s? Is no. It, 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 well, at the art, the art deco exhibition. I think off the top of my head, the art decorative exhibition was 1925. So it's got to be after 1925. But the Frank Sinatra song that's in it was recorded and released in uh, 1949. <laughs> <laughs> And it's obviously not 1949 or the 50s. I thought for the first 10 minutes it was contemporary to 1971. Mm. Um, It's uh, it's just a very weird film, isn't it? It's very... The first few things that I've written straight away are The Boyfriend. I can't remember who directed The Boyfriend. It might be Ken Russell with Twiggy (laughs) and Tommy as well. And Ken Russell, it's it's really like a very low-rent Ken Russell the very early That's a good call, 70s. Yeah. What it made me think of was the Avengers and looking at the director yeah, directed yeah, yeah, loads yeah. of episodes of the Avengers and the new Avengers. Yes, it's it's very much got that feel of a kind of, what do they call it these days? Like a magic magic realism or something. They call yeah. It, don't they? I, think yeah. This is, yeah. I think this is their attempt at magic realism because there's nothing, there's nothing really that's very believable in it. Well, there's this um, huge highbrow idea, like the whole Tim, like, oh, he's a, he's a biblical scholar, and more on that oh. in a second, you know. And then it's this really highbrow idea just kind of sunk amongst these weird, weird scenes and vignettes. And I yes. should point out that in in my in my notes, the first one just yeah. says, "Warning: pissed while watching." <laughs> I got really, really drunk to watch it, so I should point out that all of That's my thoughts. That's probably the best way. I thought well, it may be so. And I, it starts uh, off with this, like this mad, like him playing the Hammond organ for ages. Like, oh, I've, got for it play- ages. I've got it playing um, while we're talking. They started playing this when we started talking. Yeah. Still going. He's still playing the organ now. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot of padding. For our international listeners, both of you, hello, yeah. whoever they may. Be, yeah. um, <laughs> we should point out that on on BBC Radio Two, there mm-hmm. is a show called The Organist Entertains. Isn't it? It's often it's often on uh, sort of like late Friday night or things, and and it is all kind of like people playing the kind of the Hammond organ, church organs, and things such as that. And I've just put Hammond organ in excess. The organist entertains. <laughs> That's my original thoughts. And then I've just written the words in capital letters: absolutely mental from the from the off. Yes, I just, I just yes. felt I was like, this is all over That's, the show. It's it it has. The- the distinct feel of a total lack of any kind of proofreading or editing <laughs> or or a, it's just totally like like i say like you can imagine someone has come forward with a load of money say adam's faith or someone like that and say hey guys 
you know, I've written a horror film, guys, and you know, I've got, I'm going to put the money into it. And then they'll bring in Don Arden, and <laughs> Don Arden will put, you know, put the money into it, and then it'll come out, and it'll be a massive flop. So it's a, it's a bit like. Um, Send my regards. I'll give my regards to Broad Street. I can't remember wow. which it is now. Paul, Paul McCartney's McCartney's vanity uh, projects, <laughs> which is which is a series of very stupid, uh, badly thought out vignettes that 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 just really don't hang together as a film. And so, what's happened at the beginning is Vince, uh, the Phantom hmm. of the Opera in a in a uh, PVC. Um, uh, cape has come out of the ground, played the organ. Disgusting cape. With his like robot band who were just blokes dressed yeah. up. That's quite scary. Kind of, kind of a like, bit of an Orson vibes. Frank Sidebot yeah. and all the... Frank Sidebot, um, all the Orsons. <laughs> yeah, all the um, robot Santas out of the uh, Christmas Invasion. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then this incredibly beautiful woman who's his sidekick, um, and I haven't written her name down, um, Volvania or Volnavia. That's the character's yeah. name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't written. All, all I've all I've gleaned from the um, intro is the cast list. Where before watching it, I wasn't aware any of these people were in it. So, firstly, Joseph Cotton, who is in two of the greatest films of all time, is slumming it in this yeah, film. Yeah, and I, I, all. As people will know from this podcast previously, I like to imagine, you know, when they've down tools and gone home for the day, all I'm imagining is Joseph Cotton leaving, going to his hotel somewhere and just thinking, what the fuck have I signed up to? (laughs) I made the third man. I made shadow of a doubt. I've worked with Orson Welles. I've worked with Alfred Hitchcock. Now I'm working with Vincent Price, who isn't speaking <laughs> the entirety of this And film. more on that in a second. Uh, and then the next person that comes up, Hugh Griffith. What? Terry Thomas? <laughs> what? Yeah. And then another guy called Trist- Tristram Cones. <laughs> Tristram Cones. Cones. It's very close to London, that name. Isn't it? <laughs> Your new pseudonym, John. <laughs> yeah. Bunty Hoven. <laughs> He's like sound recordist Tristram Cones, as in traffic cone. It's spelt the same. It's like, what does that even mean? Why that's not a name? And that's that's overlaid over with, with a god awful typeface. That is over Vincent Price in his in, it wrapped in bin bag, <laughs> um, playing playing. It does anything say early seventies does Art Deco more than bright orange and pink uh, kind of perspex um, arranged around a, a Hammond organ coming out of the ground? It, it, uh, with Frank Sidebottom playing. Yeah, in the Slade yeah. walked in at that moment ah. and started started playing. Ma 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 ma. We're all crazy. We're crazy now. now. <laughs> I wouldn't have even like battered an eyelid to be honest. But then. After the, the Hammond organ, like, wig out and freak out, the incidental music is like this very kind of laconic kind of jazz score, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and as I was yeah. watching it, I wrote down, it is really reminiscent of Jerry Goldsmith's score for Chinatown. Oh. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've seen Chinatown. Yeah, no, but the, the whole kind of... <laughs> you know, kind of trumpet through a, you know, what do they call it when they've got like the cone on the end of the trumpet? Muff, uh, muted a muffin. trumpet. Yeah. 
So that whole kind of, and whereas it worked perfectly in evoking, <laughs> you know, 1920s Los Angeles, it didn't yeah. really work so well here, did it? It was just Na- bizarre. 1930s boring wood. What do you think this is, isn't it? <laughs> hey, so, yeah, after- Vincent Price lowers a, a cage with a cover on it through a hole in the floor. Yeah, yeah, for no reason. To his um, car, which has got pictures of himself on the windows. In profile. On the windows. For no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for no reason whatsoever. I think we don't need to say for no reason for any more on this, but <laughs> we can just, just assume every sentence when we describe it's, what's happened in this film is ended nah. for no reason. For no reason. The incredibly beautiful woman um, has now, is now changed out of her previous outfit into like yeah. a, a Russian um, outfit with a big fur hat. For, for yeah. no reason. And um, we then cut to, looks like Sherlock Holmes is flat, like a Victorian <laughs> flat. Well, yes. I've got to say, at this point, there's still there's been no dialogue and we are over 10 minutes into the film, no dialogue. And as what my notes here are 70s horror equals yeah. nice gaffes. Yes, exactly. Like we've yeah. seen a lot of nice houses and nice flats in 1970s horror thus To be far. fair, we um, And... Th- we get into what you know the kind of if you can call it the plot in some way, shape, or form. That Doctor Fives is kind of wreaking revenge on these surgeons. Who do you imagine the quality of kind of surgery in the nineteen uh, in, in the nineteen twenties? <laughs> think about it. Why is he so mad at him? But how crowded would it have been to have seven surgeons all the way? I don't around? think you ever find out what was actually meant to be wrong with his wife either. Was it a car crash? So it's- was it all part of the car crash that kind mm. of disfigured him? Was oh. that well, that, that's no, what I read, was, but you're probably right. I thought he was on his way back to see her in the process of oh, okay. coming back oh. to her post-surgery. Okay, possibly. And he rushed and drove off a cliff. I've seen it four times and I, I still don't know. <laughs> I defy anyone to follow this film in one sitting and say, this is what happened in right. a linear narrative. It's My favourite bit in the whole film was this first bit where they go to this nice flat, uh, a skylight which is too high in the ceiling for anyone to ever be able to open or do anything <laughs> yeah. with um, yeah. opens up above and the and the cage has come, come down uh, a string is pulled and the cover is taken off the cage you don't see what's in it and then the guy in the bed wakes up and he knows there's something in the um, room and I thought that was quite effective that like you could hear something in the room I've said that this part is quite well done shadows bats and silence because there's no music surprisingly point, creepy I've got in my yeah. ass yeah. he wakes up, wakes up and there's a giant fruit bat just licking its lips on his face <laughs> <laughs> Etc. And he just kind of lies there while bats are on him. <laughs> well, I think they're yeah. meant to be vampire bats, but they're just big fruit bats. But, right, the thing here, I, I just wanted my two pets that I just want to throw in really quickly is that him going around and getting revenge on these people, it really put me in mind of, I've already mentioned him once this evening, Alan Moore and uh, uh, Dave Lloyd's V for Vendetta. It's a very uh, similar thing. Remember, kind of yeah. V goes around and knocks off all of the yes. people that kind of experimented on him or were involved mm-hmm. in the experimentation of him in Larkill. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, I, and as I was watching, I was like, and I've written strong V for Vendetta vibes mm. off of this. But then mm. I have also put, can bats eat you to death? <laughs> it will nibble your, <laughs> nibble your face to death. Is, is that something that can realistically happen? How still would you have to lie? Or could you just... Get, stand up and walk out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and more on that later as well. More on that later when, when it comes to the insects. He may, like, he may be bedridden. Happen? We don't know. Do we see him get in? Do we see him get into bed? Or is it maybe he's bedridden? 
But what the only memory I have of this part then is that um, at some point they open. When do they open the door and find him then? Because the not, not yet. Because Doctor Five is going to go back to his house and have another have another have another dance with all of his um, robot men. His um, robot mannequins. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. editing of this is all over the place. It really that start bit really reminds me of um, Scar. The start of Scars of Dracula, where all of the women folk of the village are are eaten alive by bats in the church. And um, the se- in the same way, it's like, <laughs> you know, bats are quite easy to escape from, I'm sure, by just like hitting a bat. Or, or as you say, just, just run. walking just, away. Just, just run, walk, out. run out of the room. Walk away from the bat. I've been editing our episode <laughs> on Deathline today, and it was quite enjoyed when we were arguing whether we could defeat the cannibal or not. So something I want to add on to end every episode now is, uh, would we survive this film? So if we yes. could hold, yes. hold, yeah. So so far, yes, I would survive the the attack of the... Um, I'd survive a bat attack, yeah, because... Easy. You know, a no few problem. scratches on the face aren't, aren't good. Unless they're rabid. You might get a bit rabies off it. So um, the the butler comes to open the door in the morning, and there's uh, all all the bats are all hanging up around the around the room. And yeah. is that when you see the one that's swung towards the camera on a big piece of twine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but his face doesn't look quite nicely nibbled. The man in the bed. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, at this point, I've still got high hopes for the film. I had to be honest that I thought. This part was actually quite well done. And I think in retrospect, this is the best part of the film, isn't it? So we cut back to Fibes. <laughs> he's got a wax effigy of the man who he's yeah. killed. Yeah. And he hangs a giant Jim Will Fix It badge around uh, with a yeah. Hebrew symbol on it. And, and actually, the Jim Will Fix It badge would probably be more evil than the, uh, the oh. Hebrew symbol on there. Um, and then he mounts the face with a blowtorch. Um, of course, no as you do in the 1920s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then we cut to the, um, the policeman. Yeah. So investigating the crime. First of all, as as regards the police, I've written down just once in my life, let me play an uptight middle manager. Know your place, boy. <laughs> Damn it. Don't you know what's going on here? You need a pipe down. See, you know, that kind, of, that kind of vibe. Have- Police, police investigating what's yes, going on. Yes, it's it very, is. very similar, isn't it? And again, that happens yeah, in weird. American Whale from London later on. It is really weird. Inspector Trout here, and then the other guy who looks a bit like a, sh- a sh- looks a bit like a kind of shrunken Stanley Baker. The other guy, I don't know his name. Sorry, <laughs> um, the guy who plays Inspector Trout was in Doctor Who twice. Uh-huh. Oh. Um, he was in the Macra Terror, and he was in a Tom Baker one. I can't remember which one now, but he. he he wasn't in spearhead in space, uh, unfortunately. Um, but that was the only Doctor Who story um, that was filmed entirely on 16mm. Okay, interesting. Right. Yeah. Mm. And that's how they've managed to make such a, a great print of it for the uh, Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so now we're on to the bit where um, uh, Vincent Price is playing with rubber ears. <laughs> and a nose. And a nose in his dressing room. I found his demeanour... And persona and everything about him in in this uh, film extremely nauseating. Mm. <laughs> in a good in a good way. Do you think that was what no. he was? No, okay. no. I almost couldn't look at him because he looked so disgusting. He puts a wig on, but it's obviously just his own hair brushed forward, which looks like a hot, like a demented kind of beetle wig. His face is made up to look like it's wax. Well, they put some special chemical on it apparently, so he couldn't move it. I was, I was re- <laughs> it's, 
His face just looks absolutely disgusting, like stomach churningly disgusting. I've written he's he's like a proto goth. <laughs> that was just that was my, as I've written Vincent Price proto goth. I don't um, you know even know what that means. He just and then then after a few minutes you you're kind of like he's not speaking. He's not no. speaking. He still hasn't spoken. No. And I just think it's 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 the bravura is brilliant that they've managed to get Vincent Price into the film and then totally wasted Vincent Price. Which is probably the the big thing about him is his voice, isn't it? That's- is his yes. voice, yeah. Yeah. Who did Michael Jackson get in to do the voice? Yes. It was that Vincent was Price. We got Vincent Dinner. Price in this in as the lead of our film. Are, are you gonna hear his voice? <laughs> yeah, only when he plugs in a, a, a fucking electric razor to his neck <laughs> and talks and t- and talks through that. It's just the foulest inches in the air. The funk of 40,000 years. <laughs> Grizzly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. I could do the rest. I'm not going to. It's, <laughs> it's not from... That isn't that isn't dialogue from the film, by the way. It, it, it's a shame. Know. But Michael Jackson's <laughs> Thriller, the album, and video directed by John Landis are a million times exactly. better than this. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The demons squeal in sheer delight. It's you they spy, so plump, so right. For though the groove is hard to beat, yet still you stand with frozen feet. You try to run, you try to scream, but no more sun you'll ever see. For evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip. The foulest stenches in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. Can you dig it? <laughs> it's great fun. <laughs> great danger. Cut. Okay. All right. But this is, oh. this is, we next have my favorite death. Um, yeah, is that the, Terry Thomas? Uh, no, this is um, the guy at the masquerade party who. Oh yes, gets, the gets frog fit, head. Gets fit with the frog hat head, and, yeah. uh, and that was my. That's but that was my favorite. I think the visuals mm. of this were great. I think it's a, an, an ingenious. So what basically he. Vincent Price puts a um, a frog's mask onto this guy's. Um, and you then see the POV through the mask of him seeing all yeah. the, the revelers with their different helmets on. But his yeah. 
it's a clockwork uh, mechanism which starts making the the neck get tighter and tighter and tighter and but um he's trying to tell people that he can't breathe and try to get the hammer off yeah. but everyone is just laughing and all around him and i yeah. felt like this yeah works well it works well and it's very um the visuals are, are very sort of nightmarish and uh yeah it was good i i just wrote why is nobody helping him <laughs> yeah. surely if someone drops his knees at any party and was it that everyone just stands back and watches him die so i found that weird it's a very 60s idea or early 70s idea of like a 30s cocktail party, I think, isn't it? Mm. It's There's a lot of the feel of this, a lot of this really reminds me of Miss Marple, uh, the BBC Miss Marple with Joan Hickson in the 80s. Oh, okay. That kind of sinister goings on in like cocktail parties and stuff. And I think the atmosphere at the start works really well, but I just think that the, by the by the third act, this film has totally lost all cohesive kind of storyline or plot. Well, watching that, it made me think of, of um, Saw, the whole thing of, you know, the, the film Oh, Saw. really? Yes. Yeah. And then also- Later, I've, I've written that. Later, the, the one at the end has got very... But I've put... It's like the one Saw at meets, the end. Yeah. It's like Saw meets Mrs. Mills. <laughs> <laughs> because of all, that was my, that was, that's my comment for later, but we'll come on to that soon. Other film I was thinking, this is like a nineteen seventies <laughs> version of Seven. Yeah. Doing the seven yeah, deadly yeah, sins yeah. With- yeah, yeah. I can see where you're coming from there. So mate. the next death we have is Terry Thomas. So he's watching a silent film. We jump back from the thirties to like the very early twenties with silent Because my note is I've put Pornhub is a distant dream here. <laughs> also just the, the thought that came to my mind, I thought I'd see if you guys think about it was Bob Monkhouse's private film collection. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Because I remember reading... Dying a doors through a two-way mirror. Video recorders in every bedroom. Yeah, that Bob Monkhouse got in lots of trouble, didn't he? With the uh, with the authorities when he was still alive, the uh, English uh, comedian Bob Monkhouse, for having a vast collection of films in inverted commas. Many were yeah. genuine. Lots of them seemed to be slightly dodgy. And this set his career mm. back. I see. So there, there was a really good documentary about him, which I watched. I saw the documentary about the, um, about the, the archive and stuff and all the stuff, yeah. all the lost pre- TV programs and films, which uh, he was the only person to record it. He was exactly. just, he was just yeah. mental. He was absolutely yeah. mental. Yeah. He was mental. Yeah, so we have Terry Thomas, who's completely underused in this film. Uh, yeah. um, he looks quite old in this he as well. He does look very old, doesn't but he? He's basically watching a 8mm porno film. Um, of course. Yes. When Dr. Fibes turns up in the Fibes wagon, which, you know, Fibes again, with his face on the outside. Uh, just alerting everyone to who's <laughs> here. Present, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes no sense at all, does it? It's Fibes like, is it, here, everyone. It's kind of got... The feel of like the Batman, the Adam West Batman, yes. in that it's a yeah. bit like a comic strip, but it's not a comic strip. It's 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 just no, it, it, like I don't know where it kind of pitches itself. It's just so yeah. weird. They're showing Terry bizarre. Thomas watching the porn film, but he's hand cranking the ca- the um the project. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's how it was shot. So all you can see is a, a vigorous arm movement. Him lick- licking. I didn't. I didn't notice. That. Licking I his lip. And then there's a part where I've written, does he fart? <laughs> While that's happening, there's a big, like, <laughs> noise. When, um, Fibes, that might be you, when Fibes comes in and, and, like, ties him to the chair, the woman ties him to the chair, it sounds like that he lets off a big raspberry. It's Maybe he does. The woman, incredibly beautiful woman, comes in. Volnavia. Mm. 
ties him to the chair with he puts up no fight whatsoever. I don't know what, I've he, what he thinks Ross, is gonna I've happen. Terry yeah. Thomas acquiesces to this very easily. We're like, oh yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Well, I would, I would as well. I think. <laughs> oh, well, there you are. Well, then maybe it's easily. If the price turned up, walked in, I would then stop acquiescing. He doesn't question <laughs> why these people are in his house. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, his right. housekeeper's gone. He's there. The housekeeper comes back, finds him at it, and then she goes out because he manages to like confuse her or something. I can't remember now. But then the woman mm-hmm. comes back in, and he's at no point did they think to write the dialogue. Who are you? Are you? Why are you Why in, my, you in house? my house? How how did you get into my house? And who's this goth? Do you mind telling me? <laughs> yeah. Who's the goth? And who's this man with a wax face and a Beatles wig <laughs> on? <laughs> so, yeah, he died. Does he die then? What do they do? Drain him of blood? They drain him of blood slowly over uh, several hours without him yeah. putting up any fight whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> it was at this point. Um, when they're filling up the bottles of uh, blood, I said, Alexa, how many pints of blood on a human being? Human adult has approximately 9 to 12 pints. There we go. 9 to 12. 9 to 12? Yeah. So I was waiting to see how many bottles he was going to fill up. Alexa, cancel. So then next, Joseph Cotton, star of two of the greatest films of all time, worked with Hitchcock, worked alongside, acted alongside the great Orson Welles, is n- <laughs> travelled to Britain in 1970 or 71 to make this film, probably drove there in Hillman Avenger, <laughs> and then <laughs> probably went back to America and shot his agent dead. <laughs> I, just, I can't believe that he's in this film. He's a, he's a great, he is a great cinema face. He's a great cinema actor in the top pantheon. He's in The Third Man. And then he's in this film, in these sets that look like they're made out of plywood. Um, uh, just, it just it blows my mind. And then at this point, I've written, can Vincent Price speak? And this is where, this is at the point where I start to uh, think. Still no dialogue. There's no dialogue. Vincent Price, probably the most recognisable voice in all of horror cinema. He's not speaking in this film. He's just moving his Adam's apple up and down in the most right, revolting way. Yeah, well, I think got to the point yet where he pours liquid into a hole in the back of his neck. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. There's no... You, like, why is it the side of his neck? Why isn't it where well, everyone's... Tra- tracheotomy. That's what I thought. I thought, why is he... Why is it working there? Everyone oh. knows where your windpipe is and where you swallow and where you have a tracheotomy. Like, not... Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre. Christ. When we meet um, the aforementioned actor's character, he uh, he's also got his, his son with him, hasn't he? Oh, yes, and he I just, has. And my main thing was, his son's costume is absolutely identi- identical to my primary school uniform. The school uniform. <laughs> Which I found weird. Like, and it was he's the only character who's got a voice post dubbed afterwards as well. Yeah, he, he sounded odd, didn't he? It was that was very strange. In the scene with the chess as well, his voice is yeah. really weird. So then we're treated to um Inspector Trout or whatever the fuck he's called. Yeah, Inspector Trout. That so this is a pro- very problematic scene where he where he goes to visit Hugh Griffith 
who is playing an, an elderly Hasidic Jew uh, in just the most bizarre way. And I, and I, I, I almost couldn't watch this scene because it's, it's basically Hugh Griffith being his character in Ben-Hur from about... <laughs> when, when was, Ben-Hur was probably about 15 years before. Yeah. So, yeah. so he, Hugh Griffith would have been incredibly famous at that point for playing these, obviously he's Welsh as well, really famous Welsh actor. Uh, and I once did some stills on a short film with an actor who had worked with Hugh Griffith and said wow. he he was absolutely insane. <laughs> just <laughs> just spoke in tongues all the way through. <sighs> just was just mad. But this scene is just bizarre, isn't it? So this is the exposition where Inspector Trout basically finds out from this. Um, Jewish caricature, that's all mm. we can call it, really. That um that that the, there are the links to these twelve um plagues of oh, is it twelve plagues? Seven. Ten plagues. Yeah. Seven? Oh, is it? I, I thought it was ten. I don't know, is it? I don't know. Oh, so, <laughs> check, check our notes. <laughs> ten. Ten plagues. But he, he does this because he finds um he finds one of the necklaces which Terry Thomas has yes. knocked yes. off. He went yeah. to the went to the uh, the guy who made the necklace, who was who looks very much like Adrian Edmondson. Oh yes, and then he, right. he then sends him off to the um, the synagogue to find out more about. It goes quite highbrow for a minute, doesn't it? Because then you know, as they explain and talk about the plagues of e- Egypt and all the rest of it, yeah. And yeah. The, the line that I wrote down was that is a point that Talmudic scholars have debated for generations. And then I've just, then I've just written, "Fuck you, Dracula." <laughs> you won't get that line in Dracula, will you? This is a point that Talmudic scholars have debated for generations. Crazy. But unfortunately, unfortunately, then we go to some um, a close-up of some drawings that look like our friend Adam Bailey did in college ah. in the 1990s. <laughs> Another mention for Mr. Bailey. <laughs> but so you see, twelve or uh, ten illustrations of these. Um, plagues and they and it looks like they've been prit sticked into a big book and, <laughs> and and drawn with felt tip pen um it's the worst bit of production design i've seen in a in a theatrical released film probably ever i think wow um, it's again it's just like it's it's will this do isn't it and i think i've used that phrase before and it's like will this do and it's like yeah uh okay yeah we we need to get we're, we're running behind anyway um where's the drawing of the rats and the locusts and the um uh, we've already spent all our money on the robot band so we need to use that about four or five times and joseph cotton's chauffeur <laughs> And it was at this point as well that I made the observation in my notes. When the hell is this film supposed to be happening? <laughs> because because did we see the details of his uh, wife, her biography, or you know her? And it says she's born in eighteen ninety three. And I was yes. like, what? <laughs> and she dies in like nineteen twenty two or oh, something. Yeah. yeah. It's bizarre. But this is when he, he, he wires himself up to a big gramophone um, mm. horn. And talks to a photo of Caroline Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, well, I think we'd all like to talk to a, a photograph of Caroline Monroe, but um, not maybe not through a gramophone. By making our movements for our neck and look like we're going to throw up any minute. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> it's unwatchable. This is the kind of film you would have on um, on a television in an indie club. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
absolutely. Yeah. And you're trying to 100%. make sense of what's going on while unbelievably refreshed after yes. a number of Sambukas. Listening to In a Wide Open Space by Manson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just, is Echo Belly's king of the curve? <laughs> <laughs> you have here, bang on. Because this is exactly the kind of thing that I myself would have projected behind a DJ in ah. Welsh Club. Ah. It would have been this, and it would have been Kenneth Anger's films of, like, oh, brilliant and um, Egyptian stuff. This is absolutely bad. This is probably why people want us to put, put this on. Because it's yeah. mad, yeah. Yeah, because it reminds them of, of that period of time. Oh, definitely. But that also... You know, it's also a film you can watch without any dialogue and follow what's happening. Or not. I th- I think or follow it or just as well as you could if the dialogue... Yeah. I think that dialogue actually doesn't help this film at all because the dialogue is so weird and it's got this quasi kind of comedic thing, which we haven't really mentioned no, thus no. far. Every now and then there are com- comedy and inverted commas bits. The, co- the comedy is like a really weird, really weird, like sub two Ronnie's kind of. Yeah. It made me think of the it's, sort of films like Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines or that yeah. kind yes. of, that kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah, yeah. weird. I just think it's the colours and stuff on, on Very this. 60s screwball farce comedy which now looks hopelessly out of date but a bit like um a bit like the two ronnies doing like a horror spoof like when they did pinocchio with um <laughs> when they did pinocchio with laser eyes which you know they did they shot all of that on 16 millimeter film and it probably cost more than an entire season of doctor who to do like a 10 minute segment of their christmas special and it's got that kind of feel it's just like we should say the word all over Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. You've got to do the Phantom Raspberry Blower of Old London Town, Ross. Yes, you were just crazy. That's the one. I think we should definitely Good evening, sir. May I assist you? Yes. Is the Prime Minister in? He is, sir, but he doesn't see anybody without an appointment. Except Miss Maureen, body. <laughs> in that case, please do give him my card. Why has it no name upon it, sir? Modesty forbids it. But it has no address either, sir. I'm never at home. (laughs) Is there a message I may give to the Prime Minister, sir? Yes. Tell him this. to the uh the police talking i i completely tune out and and i think that's why i'm losing all of the the nuances yeah. of what's happening in the plot because that is just <laughs> bo- so watching it now they just keep cutting away from semi-interesting things going on with dr fibes yeah. to yeah the police were just talking to each and other just, yeah. just trying Pro- to figure process. stuff out yeah um, in, in, in increasingly in weird cotton. non-police station sets yeah. <laughs> and i've written cotton thinking where am I? Because <laughs> I just, I just, I'm so blown away by this film. So we've got a puppet sequence then. Oh, creepy dolls. So creepy that's, dolls. that's in the car. So mm. they lure, lure one of the doctors oh. by break, break, pretending to break down. Yes, that's dreadful, that part. And yeah. then the they kill the chauffeur and they put a doll in the back of the car with fives. Yeah. 
and then some kind of ice machine. So the doll's got nothing to do with the ice machine. Yeah. Which goes in there. Yeah. And then they leave that yeah. going. And then when the, <laughs> the police turn up. The doll, the doll is not explained at all. It happens for no reason at all. It's okay. like you might have put, might as well have put anything in front of this man. And he just sits there. Like, like, <laughs> he could get out the car yeah. and walk off. He just sits there. Watches, watches this happen while they install a machine which they have to wire into the car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the police find it, open up the door and, and show it. And then they freeze him to death. Given no respect to the body at all, they set it going again to make it carry on firing hailstones into the dead body's face. Which we're told the temperature, I made a note of this, it says it, it's at least 100 degrees below yeah. zero. At and least. Then I'm just, but how? How have yeah. you made anything that Why, cold? Wired up to a 12-volt car battery. Exactly. Put it, plug it fast. into the cigar lighter. I feel I should point out that as well. Uh, we're told, just prior to that as well, we're told about how Dr. Fibes had allegedly died. And yeah. my notes is he died in exactly the same way as the uh, early 90s up-tempo pop acts the London Boys did. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah, the London boys went off the side of the Alps. Their tour bus went off the side of the Alps and they sadly perished. So, he says laughing. So the London boys, the, the muscly men who wore leather yes. trousers and big hats yeah. and did back yes. and stuff. Yes, okay. that's them. London drives you. Great Some great... Yeah, I love that song. It's an amazing atmosphere to that song um what i thought what i thought with this part is that the um three stars and the enemy by john <laughs> the, <laughs> the freezing machine looks like something that would have been um sported by Al- arnold schwarzenegger when he was uh, mr freeze in batman yeah. which batman film is batman it and robin. Uh, batman and robin yeah it's that kind of machine isn't it you it's just it looks it's a, a nonsense machine it's basically yeah. like the prop is just like mr freeze's gun it's just stupid the poor bastards died there in the back of the car then they knock it on again and continue <laughs> to fire hail Oh, yeah. he's definitely dead now. <laughs> yeah, is this how he died? Yeah. Then we see John Laurie from Dad's Army for one scene and we never see him again. And he <laughs> plays like a deaf blind man in a kind of music shop or something. What is even happening in that scene? I don't. I don't... If you look at the IMDb listing for Abominable um, Dr. Fives, the description of Fives' character, I thought, geez, man, listen to that. A doctor, scientist, organist, and biblical scholar. I thought, yeah. oh, that's a Renaissance man. <laughs> it's like the madness. <laughs> so yes, we find out that he was, you know, he was like this genius organist as well. Uh, I know. Um, and then on top of that, though, it featured the line, well, that rather neatly explains his knowledge of the Old Testament. But, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Yes. Yeah. The main doctor at the end, son, mentions Dr. Fibes because he'd been having some um, organ lessons. So it just so happens yes. that the son plays the organ as well, yeah. which leads yeah. to, to the music shop. And I've, I've written here, I don't get yeah. this bit. So yeah, I don't think... No. It, 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 it's like it's like A-level quality writing, isn't it? Where it's like, 
Oh, um, we need to explain a bit where they find out about how he plays the organ. So maybe the son is learning the organ. So they go and meet the organ teacher. It's, it's, but that leads them to the shop, which then what? leads them to Highgate Cemetery. And I don't know why, right. but we, the, the, this nope. happens. And then they go in and they find some ashes. Uh, well, they, firstly, they manage to lift off a very heavy top of a tomb <laughs> with very great ease. Then they find the, the ashes of Dr. Fibes, who they think is the ashes of Dr. Fibes, but then they have a bit of a conflab and they decide that it's more likely to be the chauffeur. So then they decide they want to have a look at the corpse of Caroline Monroe. Um, so they lift up the coffin lid there and she's not in the coffin. I couldn't see that coming. <laughs> or, yeah, or does it matter? Or, I think yeah. that's just, this is a horror film, so we need to show a bit where they open a tomb. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but it's nice to see Highgate Cemetery in the early 70s, which yeah. links into what we were discussing back in episode ever. one. One. <laughs> Go back and listen to that one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, empty coffin. So the guy from the Aneedon line turns up then as a pilot. Um, oh. And I've written, everything looks old and knackered. So uh, if if this is set in 1930s or ni- uh, late yeah. 20s, why does this plane look like it's literally going to fall to pieces? Like, it looks dirty. The metal is all tarnished. The windows are stinking. It's like they haven't bothered to clean it at I, all. I remember watching this bit, and I remember just thinking, yeah. I just can't even be bothered to make any notes about this. It's so poor, <laughs> this. Because as I was watching it, I was just, I said to Ross before we started recording, oh, like, oh, is, how are they going to kind of manufacture the fact that he's interfered with the plane? Like, are we going to see yeah. that he's done something to the, you know, or to the what, uh, you aerialons know. or whatever they got, you know, or, yeah, or something like that. eaten through the uh, And then all of a sudden he just goes, and it's yeah. our old friend, the rodent. But then they don't really yeah. look like rats. They kind of look like guinea pigs more than anything else. <laughs> and whereas I thought... Mate, you've got a window right there. Just open the window yeah. if you play and just throw, throw them, out. them out. Or throw you get out. out with your parachute. Or, and he just goes, oh, and just wigs out. <laughs> There's some really dramatic <laughs> telescope acting by Vincent Price <laughs> yeah. watching, watching this all happen. Yeah. But, but but before it takes off, the police turn up. Turn up yeah. And try and, and I was just. Like, but I don't know how they know. When, how to get there. Oh, they think it's so, they just figure out at some point that he's one of the doctors. That like they start yes. to figure out. Oh, wait a minute! But how do they know all he's of the these guys? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Doctor Kitai. <laughs> I was drunk. It's the shrunken <laughs> Stanley Baker that chases him there, and then claims that he's driven all the way there at ninety miles an hour. Something to do a joke about them breaking their boss's car. It's just then it's some rats with like what looks like a bit of plum in its mouth. Oh, um, <laughs> bit of viscera. <laughs> Yeah. Whis- some more wispy viscera. And then the guy from the leading line dies. And he's also in um, Doctor Who Frontios, uh, made in 1984. I think if rem- memory serves me right, he plays a character. The original actor that was due to uh, play that character was murdered just days before, uh, uh, even after he did wow. his costume fitting. Yeah. I can't remember his name. I think the character is Plantagenet, but I might be totally wrong. So don't write in and tell me that I'm wrong, because I know I'm kind of in the right ballpark. If you want to write but... in about us getting stuff wrong about Doctor Who, wait till the next episode. So more on that later. On. <laughs> There's loads to get wrong with Doctor Who. Um, so this is the part now where I've written vignettes, and I started to realise that this film 
really was just is just a load of vignettes stuck together yeah. with a bit of dialogue. Um, there's the bit where Vincent Price just dances with his partner, with his kind of he dances very badly, like a tango <laughs> with his partner woman, and it it has nothing to do with the story. Um, why is it in the film? It's just a, a, another sort of linking device, isn't it? It's just weird. And then... Um, Her name then, is Virginia North, by the way. The incredibly good-looking woman. I've started to t- stop taking notes then at this point. Um, when they're protecting a guy and he gets impaled by a massive brass unicorn. Uh, before we get onto that, <laughs> before we get onto that, because what I've noticed is that, you know, their boss, the, you know, kind of like the middle management copper who I always He's want annoying, to play one day. He? What he says is, he says, this is a political time bomb. If this gets yeah. out. And what I've yeah. read is, is most of the 70s horror that we've seen, they've all been yeah. political time bombs. Yes. If this gets out, I it's a political that. time bomb. Um, I, I thought <laughs> well, that I thought, at the same time, James, that we, yeah. this, there's this weird <laughs> sub, subtext in all of these films that there is some kind of establishment weirdness so that, that will be rocks if, yeah. if all this gets out. <laughs> If we find out that all these surgeons have been murdered in this way, it will run oh, the establishment. Chaos. That's, it's got nothing to do with the establishment. Don't matter. Don't matter. Just, no, just, no. Yeah. But, and the, 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 the police boss is always having a go at them, but not giving them any extra resources whatsoever. To or help. any this, help. This is just, yeah, just having a go yeah. at them for not solving it, but not helping at all. And then, yes, we get up to the next doctor's death, which, like, literally, as John says, comes out of nowhere and he's impaled by a unicorn but but the main thing is is that this is right in front of the policeman who turn up to question him and they don't react at all a man dies in front of them and no one goes jesus yeah, christ they- or anything like that you know i i know and that's pretty <laughs> yeah. much obvious but i've just given you more reaction than these these guys do they're like oh but what what plague is the catapulted unicorn head <laughs> representing <laughs> yes and where is the where is the catapult? Why haven't they noticed? Why haven't they noticed a catapult? And why don't they run out of the out of the building to the opposite side of the road where this has just been catapulted from, rather than slowly unscrewing the body? <laughs> yeah, where you see the feet revolving, and then a man says, um, "Can we have some quiet in the club, please?" It's all it's all played for laughs, and it's really really unfunny. It's funny to talk about it, but not to watch. It's funny to talk about it, but not to Either it might be, it says wild animals or flies. Wild, wild animals? Wild animals. Okay. Tour, it might be, it, it, it's not boils. Thunderstorm of hail and fire? No, no, we definitely don't get that. Locusts? We don't, well, we don't get that. Who has boils? Templates, darkness for three days. Well, that's the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. We have a, a, quite a long scene of, of Vincent Price um, having a, a wheelbarrow full of sprouts and cabbages, which he's making... Yes! And, and he's, he's inspecting each each sprout in turn to see which is the right one. And looking very, very kind of, if not pleased by them, kind of like, mm, entranced, entranced by sprouts. Like, mm. It just makes no sense at so all. I don't, I don't know where they are. Um, or why. It might be a hospital. I'm not sure. But I don't know. But yeah, it just looks like all the other sets in this film. They tell this nurse, he's going to come and get you. Go, yeah. go to bed. Go to bed and, and I, hide in your room. But we're not going to put anyone in your room with you. And then Dr. Fives is upstairs with a plastic stencil of the woman, which he lays on the floor, drills a, 
through a for, for a head. So that- it makes no. Can we just point out how little sense any of this makes? There's a bit where he's in the lift with Joseph Cotton and the nurse. They get out. He looks at them in this sinister way. Then he goes into the room, but the where he is looks exactly the same as the floor where we've just seen the nurse go. So you don't know he's on a different floor, really, do you? No. Until you kind of work out what he's doing. Sense. Then he pulls out a, the, the, a kind of plastic stencil of a naked woman, which he holds in, <laughs> yeah. front, in front of himself with hilarious yeah. consequences. So weird. Puts it on the floor <laughs> for no what reason. Drill through the head. Just drill through the floor, Vincent. Just it's drill just, through the floor. Makes- That'll tell you where yeah. her head is. Yeah. Well, he dr- dribbles sprout yeah. juice over her fa- over her body Green and face. sprout juice. Which she doesn't wake up for. She doesn't wake up. You know, the sound of drilling doesn't wake her up. Um, a green juice being dribbled on, on her. But firstly, it goes on her light. Yes. Pours all over the place. And then... What? And then they put another tube down, which he, he then starts um, knocking Lucas down onto yeah. a sleeping foot. But then do you notice the bit where there's one locust that won't go in the hole and he's like really shoving it quite violently? Get down it's like, there. Uh, you know that the bit where it says no animals are harmed in the making of this movie, like obviously that didn't apply in 1971 because that's a that's a dead locust, basically. Inspector Trout turns up, they go into the room, and it's a skull with a wig on in bed. <laughs> and some uh, locusts on top of it. Thus, insinuating that the locusts have been attracted to the sprout juice, sprout juice on her and face, her face. and <laughs> eating her face off. <laughs> Bonkers! And I said, "How fast can a locust eat a human face?" <laughs> and how because do they do it without waking you up? <laughs> waking you up again? <laughs> another killing which you could do by waking, I felt nothing. standing up, and walking out of the room. Um. What song would be playing in an indie club while that bit was on the screen, do you think? Oh, The Wanna Dies. Oh! <laughs> I was going to say song. Primal Screams, Kowalski, or Vanishing Point. Kowalski. I Vanishing Point. Say, um, which has been in my head all yeah. week. Um, Drink the Elixir by. Um, what were they called? Salads! Salads, yeah. <laughs> It's been, in, it's been in my head. Here's one for the teenagers. When I was uh, when, when I was sort of 18, and it was my 18th birthday, my sister, who lived in both my sisters who lived in London at the time, said, "What do you want to do?" And get, I said, "I want to go into the good mixer in Camden." Yes. <laughs> Which they took I me into. I want to see Graham Coxon. And I thought, here we go. And that night, yeah. John, there was a Prince Nassim Hamid fight on TV. That no was way. Just, they said, I can remember it clearly. And the indie yeah. royalty that I recognised was the band Salad. <gasps> Featuring the... And I was like, oh, that's Salad. Marina. Like, Marina. Wow. It is the indie She pub. was so good looking. Yeah. And I remember um, very clearly that she presented Glastonbury 95 on Channel 4. Yeah. With John Peel out of a double-decker bus. <laughs> she was so uh, excruciatingly good looking. Yeah. And I don't Lovely. know, I have no idea what happened to her. Or salad. Like Pippa from Posh. Oh, much better looking than Pippa from Posh. <laughs> better looking than Louise Buena. No way. Impossible. This is no getting, getting too niche now, guys. We're going to just bring it back in. But lovely, lovely 90s reminiscence there. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs>
Yes. So, so we, build we, up, to, we build up to the big finale now. Now, now the nurse is dead. The big finale in inverted the, commas, the, very the much. The son is kidnapped. And this yeah. is what I've written. It's like Saw meets Mrs. Mills. Because <laughs> we're told that the son is going to get acid. Oh, no, sorry. Hold on. The son is tied to, like, to a medical gurney. And yeah. he's locked up. Got a key. The key, which is in his heart. Or yes. next to his heart. How, how how has that got there? Is Fuck that explained knows. in the film? No, 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 no. <laughs> what has Dr. No. Fives and Dr. Arthur forgotten? Exactly. Oh, uh, musicology, not- Ross. <laughs> musicologist. None of it is explained. And it's like, oh, he's got, a, he's got a key in his heart. Oh, of course he has. How did it get there? Um, no one knows. Even though the rest of them I've just killed off, you yeah. get the chance yeah. to redeem yourself. And in a kind got, of anti-dex, yeah. Um, yeah, in the jungle kind of uh, Best manner. Best tra- challenge. Best challenge. And so he then has to labour very, very quickly to save his son. Before the acid goes on him. And is that the moment when he then reveals his real face? He said, if it, he says, if he, yeah, because his face is yeah. going to look like mine. And the big reveal is the face which you see on the poster. Uh, so yeah. it's not a bit of a no, reveal. No shock. So he removes a mask to, to show a mask. That's very postmodern because first of all, he goes, <laughs> my face, which he then yeah. pulls off his face to reveal, which is something which is clearly a mask. Yeah. Which isn't as horrific as his... As his re- actual face, which is under yeah, the mask. Yeah, because his actual face in it is nauseating, um, <laughs> especially with the <laughs> noises he's making all the way through to move his Adam's apple up and down. It's just disgusting. <laughs> oh, bonkers. <laughs> so, then he, so then he goes off to his dressing room, doesn't he? Yeah, and while that's happening, yeah. he instructs... Um, Volvo, or whatever her name is, to smash up the place. Volvo. <laughs> smash yeah. the place up with, with, um, uh, with an, an axe. axe. Yeah. Which she does very badly. The police turn up, stick their heads through a big painted backdrop of people with other yeah, people's faces weird. on it, which just doesn't make sense. He said he's got six minutes in order to get the to get the key, get the key. Out, out before yeah. the acid comes out. And I think this happens in real time because it's really slow and boring. And, yeah. well, and, and he, when uh, he gets and the key out, care. he holds the key up for ages before yeah. he then unlocks it. It's just like, fucking get yeah. on with it. And then he pushes him out the way. Why didn't he just push him out the way in the first place? Because he unlocks <laughs> he unlocks the thing on his neck. Yeah. But then he just pushes the gurney trolley. But why, the gurney trolley doesn't look locked anything at all yeah because no. it's just a tiny key and then somehow dr fives's assistant gets caught underneath the acid yeah she but gets we don't melted. really see the aftermath they couldn't afford that volvo <laughs> but then but then while all this is happening vincent price has replaced his face yeah to then go and lie he doesn't check in his tomb that his plans have come to fruition with no. Joseph Cotton, star of The Third Man. <laughs> uh, he then goes and lies down in his weird tomb. And it's, and it's, dub- with, it's double coffin with um, Caroline, Caroline Monroe. With Caroline Monroe. And then um, injects himself with... With um, embalming fluid. fluid yeah. Embalming fluid. <laughs> and then closes the lid on himself. Which is a, 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 um, a carving of the... Um, of an eclipse. Moon, of an eclipse. sun and earth. Yeah, and an yeah, eclipse nice. on which there. Is and that closes the just darkness. in time. Part, yeah, yeah. And that closes just in time, so the police never find him. 
And they go, yeah, oh, they, I wonder what happened to old five. They don't think to look in there. No. Uh, out of all of these films, it is and the, the end. end. It is the weirdest ending. Followed then by, again, very off-kilter music at the end. And it says, music that you heard in this film. And then really a very bizarre. weird, yeah, a weird list of credits that mainly starts just with music saying, Thanks to Universal <laughs> Music for giving us the rights, <laughs> right. or whatever it's it is. It's just absolutely it, mental. This, I said, I put my headphones down and I said to Hell, "This is the weirdest film I have ever watched." <laughs> We've watched some weird films I've, in our life. I've watched Already, the yeah. Cement Garden. I've watched an awful lot of weird stuff, but this is the most. And to think that they made enough money from this to make a sequel to green to green like a sequel. Which I'm now kind of intrigued to watch. It's got Peter Cushing in, and it's got Terry Thomas in playing a different character. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like what? they didn't give a shit. Oh. Um, my, my, my final comment was, this film made me weary. I just felt weary <laughs> at the end of it. Like, oh. I was very cross with this film. Okay. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy all these films because yeah. I just find them so ludicrous and... and I'd much rather watch this than something made last year that was shit yeah. because I just think there's no excuse these days. But <laughs> this is this is the most kind of um, segmented, episodic load of old rubbish that we've watched. I think, yes. This oh, easily. <laughs> and, and I just picture, particularly someone like Joseph Cotton going home at the end of the day to stay in the the you know in a posh. <laughs> Central London Hotel, just being like, what the fuck is this that I'm in this time? Like, you know, he's paying off like a new pond or he's paying off a new swimming pool in Hollywood and just thinking, I've just got to get to the end of this fucking rubbish with these fucking limeys. And then I can go home and just, you know, sit by my new swimming pool or something. It's just bizarre, isn't it? Would we recommend this film? No. Uh, (laughs) No, it's a big no for me. <sighs> yeah, um, he, he needs to be even drunker than I was to watch it. Bizarrely, I would recommend it, yes, because I think it's such a weird and interesting. In some ways, I think it's the most uh, interesting kind of um, uh, period piece that we've watched, that it really sums up the kind of filmmaking Insanely. that was happening. Well, as as I was watching it, thinking about the seventies, and and especially like the the kind of soundtrack, you know, for some reason. But you know what? Mm. This was made the same year as Clockwork Orange. Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that. If you look at look at all the films we've been watching around the same time, the Mm, yeah. This sort of the breadth of what was acceptable in the cinema was so yeah, different, yeah, yeah. and what mm, yeah, it was yeah. scary as well. If you compare this to Death Death Line, for example, which is made within a few years, you know how sort of realistic in inverted commas made the same year. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. you got you have these incredibly stylized, technicolor, campy comedies alongside mm. these really gritty, sort of like disgusting, mm. sort of grindhouse horror movie mm. but they're all being mm. put out at the same time and not a lot of them have got the same actors in them and it's, it's, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and it's so they just they just worked and worked and worked and worked i mean what what it says to me is that cinema 
And this is what I think every day I watch talking pictures is that um, cinema in the past was so much more varied and risk taking and exciting than it is now. And I think people think cinema now is all about risk taking and excitement. It all looks the same. And now, I think, it? yeah, I think cinema now is the antithesis of that because you know underground cinema might be might be that, but I think actual mainstream cinema, which is what these were. It just shows how often people probably went to the pictures because so much of this stuff was produced. It's nuts. Yeah, but how different it looks. Like the, even the colours, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and what people look like in the film. It's, it's just so different across just a few years. There was a lot, so much yes. going on then. Yeah. And film stars then looked like kind of normal people, but worse. <laughs> Whereas now they kind of look like... You know, the, the the top strand or echelon of film stars then, like Cary Grant and, and, you know, Betty Davis and all people like that did look like film stars. But your kind of character actors then were just, they didn't look like models, whereas everyone now seems to look a bit like a model that's an actor, whereas in this, their teeth are fucked. They all look weird. <laughs> you know, the main, the main star of the film doesn't really speak. Other than through an odd tracheotomy voice box, which (laughs) they never explain how it works. Yeah. In some ways, it's quite brave filmmaking, and I kind of applaud it for that. But Mm. in other ways, it's just insane rubbish. Um, (laughs) And it's quite quite hard to tell the difference at some point, which I kind of enjoy, you know. I'd much rather watch this than Parasite or something like that. John, who's Ian Martyr? Is he out of Dad's Army? No, Ian Martin was in Doctor Who. He's Harry Sullivan. He plays one of the policemen. Oh, yes. I was going to say, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a few Doctor Who novels and then he died of a heart attack in 1986. Oh, dear. Okay. Right. What would you give it out of five? (laughs) I can't remember what my other benchmarks are. I can bring up the spreadsheet, John. Yeah, bring them up. Bring it up, please. So I know what I'm comparing and contrasting against. Oh, okay. Right. Just to let you guys know, be watching this in real time. The film is only just finished. Right, so... <laughs> okay, so, John, so far you yeah. have given out yeah. Dracula 1870... 1879... Uh, Dracula 1879... <laughs> Are you yeah. recording now? 4.5... Four, four yeah. Frankenstein 3... Yeah. Suffer and Steel 5... Rats yeah. minus 10... The Stone Take 5... Satellite Rise of Dracula 5... Horror Express 3... Uh, Never Trust the Rabbit 2... Deathline 2... Oh, really? I gave Deathline that lower score, did I? You said Donald Pleasance gives a five, but then everything else. I think uh, you, said, right. you was in the right club that day, though. I think, we all I would say that I think that this is 2.5 because it's more, it's more enjoyable than Deathline. I think Deathline is a far superior film. But it's a ordeal, isn't it? Yeah, you can't really enjoy it, can you? No. I, I'm giving this a 0.5. It's the worst thing we've watched. Are you? Me too. Really? Mm. I just sorry everyone. All the all our we've probably lost all our listeners. All the people who wanted <laughs> us to watch this. Yeah. Or maybe they wanted us. <laughs> to, uh... <laughs> they punished us. I've got to say that to to all of our listeners, I am here for you. I gave it the most applauded, uh, and I and I felt I really connected. I felt it. that it wasn't a horror film, and it 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 wasn't a comedy. It was. <laughs> it was just an ordeal. I feel I, I would have enjoyed it more if I was watching it on a TV while, drink, while drinking a bottle of hooch and listening to Sandstorm by cast. 
Absolutely. We um, do need to do, need um, to do a, a club night for this now, well, John and Chill. Uh, well, no, yeah. well, I was going to say that what we need to do is we need to put like a 90s playlist together. So, <laughs> the I people mean, so you can get I, the experience, put it on, put Dr. Fives on with no sounds, put on our 90s playlist. Uh, put, it on a, put it on a, yeah. a CRT I, television uh, high up on the wall and yeah. eat um, toasted cheese sandwiches. And, a, and a yeah, a cheese sandwiches. And, um, a very faded projection. What club did you go to where you could get a fucking toasted Metro's. cheese sandwich? Jesus. Metro. Metro's gave out toast. I don't remember cheese oh. sandwiches in Metro's. That sounds amazing. I love Metro's. That's kind of for you. I think I'm 100% behind the idea of doing this as a club night. I think that is the best yeah. idea that we've yeah. ever had. Let's do it. We'll be called the club like Big in Norway yeah. because we were... Number, <laughs> number three Norway. in the yes. uh, Apple's iTunes uh, podcast podcast um, chart for film history in Norway. Yeah. Yes. And I looked yeah. up. What do we know about Norway? Well, I've got a friend of mine who's a Norwegian, and he's a very nice bloke. No he's a top lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do we What do we know about Norway? What's the capital Oslo. of Norway? Do Oslo. We, isn't no? it? Oh, really? Oslo. Who are the famous Norwegians? Do we know any famous Norwegians? I knew Adrian Mole used to oh, pretend oh. to do a chart for the Norwegian leather industry in order to keep tabs of the size of his penis. <laughs> Roald Amundsen. <laughs> Roald Amundsen. Who's that? Wasn't he the guy who he, he like got to the pole? Oh, oh really? The leader of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg. Yeah. An actor in Game of Thrones called Christopher Hivgis. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Is the big woman here? Um, Marilyn he was Monroe. What? No. Is Marilyn Monroe Norwegian? Yeah. Roald Amundsen is, is my top Norwegian for you. How strange that, that Marilyn Monroe comes up. Um, uh, yeah. So, hello to everyone in Norway. Norway. And thanks for downloading. something horrific something yeah. we've watched listened to read which we would like to recommend to uh, you and each other has anyone got anything for this yeah. week absolutely nothing at all yeah um, yes. sorry guys I'm, I'm I watched um, I watched a good episode of Ghost Adventures the other night <laughs> where they went to um, the Joshua Tree Hotel Ooh. and they spoke to the um, ghost of Grand Parsons <laughs> 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 Bloody Keith with Richards! A, it's all his fault. With a woman who was 18 years old and had 24 million um, uh, yes. followers on Instagram, and I had never heard of her in my life. That was uh, that was a brilliant episode. It was absolutely brilliant. But otherwise, I have nothing to add. <clears throat> so I'm recommending. Well, there's two films I can't pick between, so I'm going to recommend mm. um, A Dark Song, which is a British horror film, um, uh, relatively new. Uh, it's about a uh, a woman who hires a, a a an occult magician in order to help her perform a uh, a ritual in in a, a secluded country house, um, 
and it's based on a a true ritual which Alistair Crowley actually performed apparently Um, and she tells him it's because her son died and she wants to have the opportunity to speak to him one last time Um, and this ritual is uh, an ordeal which she has to go through and it takes over a year for her to do it and it's a a lots of repetition it's almost like a bit of a torture type thing Uh, but with him Sounds like a really fun it, film, it's, please. Um, it's brilliant. It's re- really... When did this come out? I would say on? probably 19... Uh, sorry, 2015, something like that. I don't know. And who's uh, in no, it? Uh, let me have a look. It's and British it's film, very right? good. Um, very... Um, mm. Yeah, and obviously everything goes wrong. Um, and Who's in it? Michelle let Collins? Let me have a look. <laughs> hey... The guy that played Dean, um, what's his name? Dean Whitson, in his no, It's got Steve Beppe from his <laughs> Michael Greco. <laughs> TV's Michael Greco. Greco. Um, it's got Steve Oram in it, who is the main guy in Sightseers. Steve. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, so yeah. He, he's like the magician guy. And Catherine Walker. Uh, I. She is in. Um, when I was a child, a TV, an ITV TV program called Shetland. Praying of what might be. Oh yes, I remember yeah, Shetland. Yeah, she was in that, and a TV series called Versailles. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I know. I photographed the main star of Versailles. Oh, but very. He. Um, I can't think of his name now. Alexander Vlahos, and he plays Dorian Gray for... Oh, um, Big Finish. Yes. Big Finish. Mm. Yes, he's also in... Um, he was in Merlin, wasn't he? He was in yeah. Merlin, yes. Who wasn't? Very nice man, and he used to work <laughs> in Milgi when he didn't have uh, much going on in his life. So <laughs> that is... Uh, I really recommend that, and people have been recommending us to watch that for the podcast, so we might we might do that one day. Okay. I think it's on Prime. Worth, worth watching. <laughs> going to be covering uh, a Doctor Who story called The Horror of, Fra- the Ooh, Horror yeah. of Fang Rock. Will I be able to slag off the um, the current season of Doctor Who? A little bit, but not non-stop. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's what we'll be doing next time. With Chris... With Chris... Um, what's his name? I don't even know. Chris, Chris Rickerson. His name, now. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Chris Chibnall. <laughs> He's back, and it's about time. Hey. That was the best. It was the best strap line they ever did. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Chibnall. Yeah. Oh God, don't get me started. Okay. Well, that's the end of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. What about the, what about that episode where it was about plastic in the sea, and then someone died, and then by the end of the episode, she had new friends and she. Forgotten a friend who had died. That was amazing. So, um, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Um, it's happy day for me. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. And it's love, light, and peace from me. You have been listening to The General Witch Finders. Support the show and continue the conversation at patreon.com forward slash general witch finders. Subscribe and spread the word at generalwitchfinders.com. Farewell.
You don't have nightmares. Just before we go, right, there, this is something that I've already talked about last week, and I'm just going to throw mm. it. I'm just putting it out there for you guys, right? No, no, no. You can, you can keep recording no. this. Right. It's going to be a title sequence. Me, many years ago, uh, my sister Kate came, had an idea, uh, which I, at the time I thought, oh, that's brilliant. That's really, really good. And it's only now yeah. we're doing this that I'm thinking, actually, you're talking to, with us three, we can absolutely make this happen. Kate said... Yeah. My sister Kate said, everyone loves a ghost story. And mm-hmm. virtually so many people have got a ghost story. And she mm-hmm. said, wouldn't it be really, really cool just to get people to submit their real life ghost stories, as it were, and then have like a piece of art next to them, either corresponding to it or something like that. And she then started doing it and started doing it. Yeah. And some of them, they weren't even like the t- two that really stand out for me. And this will just kind of give you the flavour of the sort of things that people can, th- can sort of contribute. And I thought, now we've got the podcast, we can say, anyone out there, please contribute. Um, was one, uh, a friend of hers said, he went back to see his parents in sort mm. of like the house they grew up in. And they started talking about the, his childhood. And his mum said, oh, well, of course, that was that time when you had that imaginary friend. Uh... And he said... I've not had, I've never, I never had an imaginary friend. And his mum said, and his mum said, yes, you did. He used to say he was stood at the top of the stairs. And at that moment, at that moment, like a repressed memory, he could remember it and could remember that he could see a a, a young boy stood at the top of his stairs. Little things like that that just make you go, oh. And the other brilliant one, and again, this Mm. isn't, this is kind of horrible, but this is real life. A friend of, again, a friend of Kate said her dad was a policeman. I think I've told Ross this story. So, Mm. and he was a policeman. Arrested Frankie Howard under Bournemouth Pier. No, no, no. He was a policeman (laughs) in Portsmouth. Yeah. And he spent his whole career there. And when he moved down there, he was placed Mm. in a guest house. Mm. And one of the, at the time when he moved in, so he was only a beat copper. One of the things they were looking into is that someone was, there'd been like three or four murders in the Portsmouth area. Yeah. And in each case, the murderer had removed the eyes of the victim. And so this, this person's father was sat down one morning eating breakfast with the person who ran the guest house. And they said, Oh, what are you doing at the moment? And he said, Oh, well, you know, one of the things we're looking into is, you know, we've got, we've got these murders that are happening. And the person who ran the guest house said, yes, isn't it absolutely dreadful the way they take out, you know, that thing with the fact that the, they take out their eyes. And he went, yes, yes, you know, it's, it's very macabre. They never found him. Years pass. He ascends to the, the rank of detective. And one day mm. he's talking to a, one of his colleagues who's been there, who's been there even longer than him. And he said, hey, do you know what? When I first moved down here... Do you remember that, you know, that there was that, mur- you know, the, the murderer with the guy who used to take out the eyes and they, they said, mm. yeah, yeah, you know, we, we never got the person responsible for that. And he, and then the guy went, wait, stop. How do you know he used to take the eyes out? And the guy said, what do you mean? And he said, we never released that to the press. 
No way. And with that, the moment of sheer horror hit him. And he was like, shit, shit. And he realized that the person who ran the guest house was the murderer. And they went there straight away, only to find that the guest house had been sold 15 years ago and there was no trace no of the owner. Way. Do you know what I mean? And I, that has stayed with me for years. For That's years. amazing. But brilliant, isn't it? But what I thought was, wouldn't it be really cool if we said to people, send us your real ghost stories? Or just yeah, 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 a yeah. bit weird. And I think, John, yeah. with your talent, Ross, with your talent, wouldn't that be like a really amazing, just like small exhibition to Definitely. do? Mm, and I'll help do the writing, yeah. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I didn't want to say, let's definitely go. But I just thought, I'm just going to throw it out there. Think about it, you two. Yeah, well, I'd forgotten that we were doing the drawings. And then Hell said, what's happened to the drawings you were going to do for every episode? And then I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's uh, that's excellent, James. But I think oh, yeah. that's... Um, I, I have got one. But, oh, but I have I haven't got one. But it's no. my my, my mother and my nan uh, and me. But when I was in a pushchair, going to a house, seeing someone in a window, and then going round to the front because we thought that they thought that the estate agent was there, and then basically the house was locked and there was no one in there, but Oof. they'd seen two people in a window. See, that's and they perfect. had both seen that's it, seen it separately. Which is quite Jeez, interesting. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They'd both seen the same thing in a window and, and recognised the same two figures and could describe the two figures Oof. separately. Brilliant. Which is very weird, isn't it? I've never seen anything ghostly at all. Me, me neither. I have, so but I don't believe have. it was a ghost, but I can tell you guys that another day. So, so we're doing, okay. we're doing that on the next <laughs> okay. one. So I'm going to leave this in. Yeah. So if you've got a, if you've got yes. a uh, ghost story, guys, Email us at generalwitchfinders at gmail.com. If you've got if you've got a ghost story, please send it in and we Any will read it out. Or even better, record yeah. it. Send it to us. Make keep keep it nice and short. Yeah. Send oh, we'd love ghost it. Story. We'd absolutely love we will, that. We will include yeah. that after our credits um on every episode. And I'll do, do, I'll do yeah. my, I'll do my ghost that. story next time. I know Claire Roberts listens to every episode. She must have a ghost story because she's very weird. So, Claire, make sure you send one in. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.